0: As Minnesota emerges from a two-week deep freeze, I find myself emerging from my own personal hibernation. That's right. No more binge-watching, cheers, reruns, or old episodes of M.A.S.H. It's time to get back to work. And what better way to get back on that horse than, well, a new episode of Art Wonderful in 4, 3, 2, Hello, art enthusiasts and art lovers. Welcome to episode 21 of Art Wonderful. That's right, Art Wonderful turns 21 today and can finally sip on the nectar of the gods legally. No more need for that fake podcast ID. We're all grown up and adult. Again, that's right here at Art Wonderful the podcast where art is a religion. I'm your host, Nicholas Harper. I'm broadcasting from my art studio deep within the Rogue Buddha Gallery. That's here in the heart of the Northeast Arts District in freshly thawed out Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank you for joining me as we explore everything the arts has to offer. It's the mission of this podcast to spread the gospel of the arts, their essential value to our everyday lives, and to offer a deep dive exploration into this most mysterious of subjects. You can learn more about myself, the Rogue Buddha Gallery, this podcast, and those we have on the show by visiting us online at roguebuddha.com. Click podcast from the menu. Welcome back to Art Wonderful. Hopefully you were able to catch up with some older episodes over the past week, as I took last week off from the show. Now, it's not that I didn't have an idea for the show. Quite on the contrary. It's more that, well, I just didn't feel in the mood to record the episode and edit it and then promote it, etc., etc. I would say that I was just being lazy, but there's more to it than that. Sure, I didn't have the motivation... But there seemed to be an underlying current that was holding my inspiration or get up and go back. I guess you could call it laziness or lethargy or even a tinge of ennui if you want to be French about it. But probably more accurately, I would just call it some form of hibernation. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was sort of in a state of hibernation. But the deep freeze of outside didn't keep me from venturing out. No, in fact, I really don't mind this weather too much. I love weather. All kinds of weather. And so whatever the weather gods of Minnesota present to me, I try and take advantage of it. And so I found myself at 2 and 3 in the a.m. going for some 2 and 3 mile runs in the 25 and 30 below temps. It's really not all that bad, and there's just something magical about having to remove icicles from your eyelids every so often. But still, as much as I tried to embrace old man winter, something was holding me back and brought all progress at the easel and, for that matter, at the microphone to a grinding halt. And despite the fact that the gallery heaters worked on overdrive, grinding away to keep things above 70, while the outside dipped below minus 20, the art itself just wasn't flowing, nor was the motivation. Cue the mash and cheers reruns. And hours upon hours of deep backcountry YouTube exploring, and otherwise just vegging out, a.k.a. hibernation. Hibernation is, well, it's different than lethargy, or even what some might want to call artist block. It's basically, well, just what it is, a time to rest. A time to recalibrate and let go. To let go of ambition and to let go of striving. A time to conserve strength and to regroup. A couple episodes ago, I talked about the come down after a big art opening. Truth told, I'm still very much in that place now, even though I tried to battle through it. Returning to the easel to peruse some various new ideas I've been playing with and a desire to return to portraiture painting. But alas, my body, or maybe it was my soul, put the kibosh on those machinations. And instead, well, that clinger, he's a real hoot. That's a mash reference for those not in the know. Now, this place I'm in right now, it's nothing new. Almost every winter I go through a few-week period where the last thing I want to do is think about art. At first, I used to get down on myself when this would happen, not really knowing what in fact was happening. I would think that there was something wrong with me, or that I was in fact just being lazy. I would compare myself not only to other artists, many of whom seemingly didn't have this sort of hibernation spell or period of inactivity, or period of no production, but worse, I would compare myself to the quote-unquote civilian world, the world where people go to actual jobs and have actual quote-unquote responsibilities. It was then that I really began to feel some sort of disconnect to, well, the world of responsibility and productivity. But lo and behold, over the past 20 years of running the Rogue Buddha Gallery, I've come to learn that I'm not the only artist that not only goes into hibernation, but seriously questions themselves as an artist from time to time, and not only compares themselves to other artists, but to the civilian world. Ah, the civilian world, the world of work hours, days off, holidays, weekends, lunch breaks, projects, clients, partners, committees, work groups, working dinners, work attire, deadlines, corporate cultures, corporate speak, and on and on and on. For artists and creatives working for themselves, I think this is where a lot of the issues arise, where it becomes easy to self-doubt and question just what it is we do. Over the past month or two, I've talked to a number of artists that have asked me questions that sort of have a common thread, and that's centered on this notion of self-doubt or self-questioning, not just about the work that they're making, but as their very role as an artist. Now, keep in mind that these are some serious artists who make excellent work, have excellent careers, and have been artists for some time. Of course, not every artist is going to go through this, but I tend to think it happens more often than not with more artists than I ever thought. And frankly, I was kind of happy to know that I wasn't the only one. Hopefully, if this is something that happens to you, you'll know now that, well, you as well are not the only one. But again, for me, this has happened personally a number of times over my career, the self-doubt and questioning of my art career especially in these hibernation periods in the winter. Other times that have made this issue acutely present is in times of trial, such as not having enough money to pay the rent, not having sold anything for an extended amount of time, not being happy with what I'm producing, or finding myself in those times of artist block. While personally I'm not too affected emotionally by the current state of affairs where COVID is concerned, and I say that while my gallery has been closed for almost a year now, I'll talk more about that in a future episode. I am getting the sense that it is starting to weigh on a lot of people. It may be one of those factors, like the ones I just mentioned, that may exacerbate notions of self-doubt among creatives. Undoubtedly, I'm sure that the same is true for non-artists, especially those that find themselves being called to be more creative and to explore the arts themselves. But for artists in particular, I think a lot of this self-doubt has to do with the path less traveled that we've all chosen to walk along. I'm typically not a big fan of essays on art or art criticism. But while in a museum bookshop in Barcelona, I came across this big yellow book of essays in which the author discussed various artists of all genres, and in the margins had questions and answers with many big-named artists. Now, first I have to say I was drawn to this book because the very first essay was on Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light. This was the first time I saw a serious art historian discuss Kincaid in context of being a contemporary artist, and one worth reckoning with in the bigger scope of the contemporary art world. The very fact that he was the wealthiest artist alive at the time of the book's publishing, and that one in every four homes in the U.S. had something with his art on it, be it postcard, magnet, or puzzle, or print, well, he was indeed a force to be dealt with, like him or not. The last essay was on an artist that I didn't particularly like at the time, Matthew Barney. However, after reading her essay, I can say my tune has changed and I have a newfound appreciation for Matthew's work. But what really struck me in the book was the Q&A, where I heard about these big-name artists and some of the trials and tribulations that they had to go through and continue to go through on a daily basis. Some names that I never thought would have to be working a day job were in fact still working jobs in order to pay the rent, that, even after their work had been in big museum exhibits. It was then that I began to look at my own career and experience as an artist and begin to realize that what we do as artists is in fact quite special, that the path we've chosen is, well, while most definitely a gift, it's also an extraordinary challenge. And it was from this perspective that I began to give myself a little bit more breathing room and realize that I have to remember to be kind to myself. Coming back to that civilian world, well, see, we all come from that same world for the most part. Almost all of us, anyways, regardless of what we do now, went to daycare, preschool, grade school, and high school. Our entire day was fairly routine and mapped out. For at least 12 years, we didn't have to concern ourselves with how to structure our days. It was done for us at school by teachers and then at home by our parents. I can easily recall those first few days of summer vacation in grade school and the realization that I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have any responsibilities. I could fill my day how I wanted. It was a feeling of freedom. It was exhilarating, but also came with a new sense of responsibility I wasn't used to. I remember on a few occasions going to my mom in the middle of the summer on especially warm and lazy days where there were no neighborhood kids to be found and telling her that I was bored. She had the best response. Go make something up to do. In essence, go be creative. Go create. But of course, she also took the opportunity to say she could give me a patch of land in the yard and a trowel with which to vanquish weeds. I learned not to be bored as much as I could. Looking back, it really is incredible just how much a kid can invent and be mesmerized with by mounds of dirt and sticks and maybe a matchbox car or two. The world of creativity is easily accessible in those years, and it's sad that much of this is taught out of kids through the school system. But that's for another episode. Back to the structure. For some of us, the school structure continued into college. And while we may have a bit more freedom to structure our days and classes as we wanted, we still had this general four-year plan to follow. And then, of course, after schooling, most of us went into the work world, where once again our days were structured for us. Depending on what type of job or career we went into, that structure could be so intricate so as to dictate a specific language, corporate speak, and attitudes and mannerisms by which to traverse the day and the office, corporate culture. I had numerous jobs while in college and after, from selling salon shoes at Nordstrom, to working at an art supply store, working for prints at Glam Slam, to working in a cubicle at a marketing think tank at 3M to pouring concrete, and my final actual job, working as a master apprentice for Thomas Kincaid. Each of these jobs had a very specific culture, that if I wanted to get through the day unscathed, I had to learn how to navigate and fit in. From wearing Hugo Boss suits at Nordstrom, and talking about the new Versace line with co-workers, to wearing Wranglers and talking about the Vikings while pouring concrete. Each job asked for different obligations and ways to fit in. One thing they all had in common was the necessity for a certain level of conformity and to submit to their structure and ways of doing things so as to not be that odd man out. Perhaps the biggest hurdle in becoming a self-sufficient artist is in giving up that structure and the comforts that come along with the predetermined structure that jobs and careers can offer. It doesn't matter if it's a cushy corporate gig at 3M, or the harsh physical job of pouring concrete, or working at a bar. Each of these jobs has its own allure and certainly provides a certain level of comfort in knowing what exactly you can expect each and every day. All of this vanishes when you choose to be a full-time artist, Even if you find yourself still working other jobs while endeavoring to be a self-sufficient artist, you're still giving up a certain level of comfort and accepting a life of uncertainty and going down a path untraveled. I say it's untraveled because despite the fact that many an artist has done it before, we still don't have a roadmap. Sure, there's books and even this podcast and others like it, but just like running, you can read all the books you want about running But until you actually get out on the pavement and do it yourself, well, you're just a theorist or a spectator. In the world of marathons, I can tell you all day long what it feels like to hit the wall at mile 18, and to wish that you could just lay down on the cool grass and let it all be over. I can write poetic about it all day, but until you feel your body shut down for yourself, and those mental demons that are telling you to quit, until you have that experience for yourself, everything is just theory and fairy tales. The only way to know what it's truly like is to experience it yourself. And as an individual, while certainly there are similarities that all runners can attest to, your experience will be unique to you and unlike any other. And no matter how many runners are on the course with you, in similar situations, you still have to run that race yourself. And in that sense, you're alone. The same can be said with a creative life. Despite the fact that, well, really millions have done it before or are doing it now, you are, we are, I am, we all are doing it alone. We're on uncharted waters, defining for ourselves what our life is to look like from one day to the next. Each of our experiences is unique to us. And while again, there may be similarities and areas of commonality, well... It is unto the individual experiencing it for the first time, typically uncharted water. This is both exhilarating and at times daunting. We don't have a boss telling us what to do. We don't have to be anywhere, in particular, at any particular time. We don't have to dress, speak, or act in any specific way. We're in charge of all of that. Not only that, we're in charge of defining what goals we want to accomplish, what we want to value, and what we want to determine success, accomplishment, and abundance to be and look like. It's up to us to set our own pace, to produce at our own rate according to our own standards, and ultimately, to find some darn way of making money from what it is we choose to produce. God, holy hell, a job at 3M and starting to sound appealing again, but I digress. And so, it's actually quite easy to understand why so many artists maybe suffer from depression or get down on themselves or have serious bouts of self-doubt from time to time. Compounded on just the normal trials and tribulations of being an artist and getting through life, enter forced national shutdowns of retail stores and global economic uncertainties as a result of these forced shutdowns and, well, a media that thrives off of selling fear and paranoia if it bleeds, it leads, well, of course one can understand if one has some serious doubts about what they're doing and what the future looks like. If only there was a way to look at things such that we might have a better sense of self-control and a way of bolstering ourselves so that we can let some of that stress, the stress of the world and that which is of our own control and that which is self-imposed stress, well, let it melt away a bit. If only. If only recently I've been trying to get back into running again I actually have aspirations of running marathons again like I did in my 20s but after a decade of two packs a day of spirit yellows and a healthy like for whiskey in my 30s well My 40s have been an on-again and off-again struggle, with getting in shape and developing a serious running routine. Each year over the past six years, I've gotten so far only to be hindered by sickness or injury, only to find myself starting from scratch every six months or so. As it is now, I'm just getting up to three and a half miles again in my most recent running reboot. Part of my road to running includes a healthy dose of reading other people's stories, I recently finished Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, and I'm in the middle of reading about the Marathon Man himself. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, though, but his book is Marathon Man. Anyways, both books talk at length about some of the harder ordeals that each of these runners have had to deal with, not just on the road, but in life in general. A common theme that they return to is finding the why, why we do what we do. I can easily say that if I didn't know my why, where running is concerned, I would have easily quit attempting to get back to where I was 18 years ago, a long time ago. After all, after six years and numerous setbacks, most out of my control, it can seem a daunting task to start from scratch, especially when those first few miles are always the hardest. The only thing that keeps me starting up again and fueling me during those first few weeks where running just one mile is torture is knowing the why I do it. I think that knowing the why and remembering the why as an artist is invaluable as well. It's easy to lose track of why we do what we do. It's easy to set goals without knowing the why behind them as well. And when this happens, it's easy to lose track of our goals, to miss them or even give up on them altogether. Take for instance the goals of maybe having a solo exhibit at the MoMA or being featured in Juxtapose magazine or getting a public art commission. Why is it that an artist might see these as specific goals for themselves? Is it because these will be markers of success? Will they offer a healthy dose of self-esteem boosting? Will they make one look good in the eyes of other artists? At the heart of these goals and the question of why, lies the real question, that is, what do we value? I'm planning another episode all about values as they relate to the art world, so I won't linger on the topic here. But suffice it to say, I think the more honest we are about the answers to these types of questions, the more able we are, as individuals, to tackle specific obstacles and hurdles that appear in our way. This is where I tend to get a bit more philosophical. I, myself, used to want to be in the MoMA and, heck, the Louvre. I used to value media recognition and all the rest. And to a certain degree, I still do. Who doesn't want the things that come with that? Also, it can't hurt the pocketbook by way of adding more market value to the thing I'm dedicating myself to producing each day. That can't hurt either. But really, why do I make art every day? When I first started making art around the age of five, I didn't know what the Louvre was. I didn't know what Art in America or Juxtapose Magazine was. I didn't know what Sotheby's and Christie's were. I didn't know what market value, appreciation, and provenance were. I only knew that I was completely lost in a different world when I was drawing, and that I loved that space my mind was occupying. I loved seeing something come to life for the very first time. I loved seeing lines intersect and colors overlap. I loved giving shape to something that hadn't existed before. If I think about it now, these same things hold true when I'm at the easel these days. I'm not thinking, geez, this painting will look great at the Whitney Biennial, or, boy, I hope this painting sells for such and such amount of money, or I hope such and such collector buys this piece. I'm too busy lost in making the thing in front of me. So for me, when I get overwhelmed by life as an artist, stuck in the doldrums of artist block, Hooked by the trappings of comparing myself to other artists, scared by the uncertainty of the artistic life, or how the outside world might affect my world as an artist, or find myself needing a break and just wanting to hibernate for a few weeks, I try to remind myself why I do what I do, and that nothing else really matters. When it comes down to it, as long as I can find a way to get to that easel and spend some serious time alone with what's in front of me and what's going on in my my mind at that moment each day, well, then I've already attained all the success in the world. It's with this sort of realization that all the obstacles in the world, well, they just seem to matter less and have less effect on me and less control over my emotions if, for example, I ever found my work to not be selling, I'd be happy to take a job at Taco John's slinging olay's out the drive through window to support my habit. Taco John's was, in fact, my first real job when I was 13, and I loved every single day there. I could see doing that again. The point here for me, the goal isn't money. Success isn't a show in the MoMA, and my self-worth is dependent on what others think of me or my work. My goal is to make art, And to improve every day if i can do that then i'm successful the rest is icing on the cake there is one more component to success for me that's in inspiring others and spreading the value of art to others especially those that might not think art is for them. My goal is to do this through my art, through the Rogue Buddha Gallery, and the artists I love to exhibit and promote, and now through this podcast. As a young kid, I went to the Van Gogh exhibit at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. I was astonished to see a line out the door of the museum and down the block. It took hours for the line to snake through the Labyrinthine corridors of the MIA until finally we were able to enter the exhibition halls. And while certainly the art was spectacular, and I was impressed by Van Gogh, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. What really impressed me that day, and the thing that still amazes me to this day, is the amount of people that were there. And not just that day, but every day of the exhibit, waiting to see his work, to be touched by it. I've made mention of Kincaid earlier, and in past episodes, and I know he gets a lot of guff for his work. But I can tell you as someone who's interacted with thousands of his clients and saw their eyes light up seeing his work, many of whom had never considered buying a work of art before or never thought art was for them, well, seeing his work, something touched their souls and made their spirits come alive. Like I said, at one point, one in four homes in the U.S. had something with his name or image on it, from magnets to postcards, stationery, and of course his prints. Well, if I could touch just a fraction of the souls that his art has touched, that would be incredible. And so I paint on, and I encourage you to do the same. And I encourage you to not be too hard on yourself and to find your why, especially if things seem to be difficult. I have a hunch when you do, it'll make things all the more easy. And remember, while you are on your own path, charting your very own unknown waters, and that I did say you were alone earlier, well, you're not alone. Many others have done it, and, well, I always got your back. Speaking of uncharted waters, if you've never been to the High Point Center for Printmaking, might I recommend their current exhibition of contemporary printmaking by members of the Swedish Printmakers Association up through March 20th? You can learn more about this exhibit and get all the details, such as location, hours, contact info, by visiting our good friends at mplsart.com. Along with this exhibit, MinneapolisArt.com has the most up-to-date and current resource for all things Minneapolis arts-related. They also have an essential directory of galleries linked up, so you can visit all the awesomeness this city has to offer. That again is at our good friends MplsArt.com. While online, be sure to check out Nima.org, where you can peruse our work from thousands of its artist members. There's a ton of art for you to enjoy and fall in love with. And don't let the aura of Valentines fade away quite yet, as now is still the perfect time to find new artist soulmates. That, again, is at NEMA, N-E-M-A-A, dot org. But don't log off quite yet. Not before you visit Northeast Minneapolis Arts NortheastMinneapolisArtsDistrict.org. This is a wonderful resource for exploring everything the Minneapolis Arts District has to offer and the many programs it hosts, including a new exhibit at the Minneapolis airport. Again, that's at northeastminneapolisartsdistrict.org. Or you can just go to the Rogue Buddha website and click the link there. And that is a wrap for this episode of Art Wonderful, coming to you from deep inside the Rogue Boutique Gallery. Screech! That's my screeching sound. Wait a minute, addendum. What about the people out there that aren't artists? Well, I think it's equally important for you to find your why as well. Maybe your why has to do with your job or career, or with what you do after your job. Maybe it's a hobby, or maybe it's your family and kids. Maybe it's why you collect or sell art or promote and help artists. Maybe it's just how you carry yourself through the day or how you interact with others. Whatever the case may be, finding the why tends to help one find gratitude. And being in a state of gratitude, regardless of the state of affairs of one's life or the outside world, well, that ultimately leads to what I think living a life of grace is all about. Grace. Now that's a big topic, maybe for another episode. Anyways, I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope you do so again and often. And please feel free to share this podcast with your art-loving friends. Until next time, remember, the best life is the creative life, and the best self is the artistic self. Cheers.